0: Are you feeling confused about what language modality to use in your home? It can be overwhelming to make this decision, and as parents, we often fret and worry over this exact decision. Today on the podcast, I have Lacey Wood, who talks with me about what are the different language modalities that you can use and how to make the best decisions for your child and for your family. Lacey Wood is a teacher of the Deaf whose specialties include supporting families with Deaf and hard of hearing children ages birth to five, as well as coming alongside families whose children are Deaf Plus. She has experience teaching Deaf and hard of hearing preschoolers using ASL, as well as providing early intervention to families and children who are using sign language and or listening in spoken language. Her passions include fostering whole family language development on behalf of Deaf and hard of hearing little ones as well as nurturing healthy earliest relationships among deaf and hard hearing children and their families. Lacey has been married to Harry, a deaf adult, for 22 years, and they have two hearing daughters, ages 15 and 12, and their family uses both ASL and spoken English. I know that you're going to get so much from this episode, Lacey is just a wealth of knowledge on, you know, languages for deaf and hard of hearing kids and language modalities and which ones to choose and how, you know, we can better support you guys as parents um, and also how parents can, you know, bring their information and what you want to do to your professionals. So welcome to Raising Deaf Kids, Lacey. Hey mama, welcome to Raising Deaf Kids. Do you want more ease in your daily life? Do you want to help your child learn language faster but have no idea where to start? Do you find yourself searching for how to learn sign language and best ways to practice speech goals? Hey, I'm Elaine. I'm a mom of three littles, two of whom are deaf. I remember when I received the hearing loss diagnosis for our child, there were so many decisions and information overload. I lacked clarity and confidence and yearn for ease and balance in our lives. It was then that I discovered strategies to support our kids' language development at home, and I even helped them learn language faster. I can't wait to share it all with you. So put down that to-do list, close out that ASL app for now, and let's get started. Did you know that I have a free community of women just like you? busy moms who want to help their kids learn language faster while still getting all of the things done in the house each day. In the community, we share strategies to help our kids learn language faster and lean on each other for encouragement and support in this up and down journey of hearing loss with your kids. If you haven't found your community yet, then welcome home, Mama. Come join us at facebook.com slash group slash Raising Deaf Kids. Welcome back to the Raising Deaf Kids podcast. And today I have Lacey Wood on the podcast. Lacey, welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me, Elaine. I'm so delighted to be here.
0: Of course, I'm really excited that you're here. Um, Like I was saying before I started recording this, you are going to have so much good stuff to say to parents, um, especially we're gonna talk a lot about the birth to five, which sometimes gets left out a little bit. You know what I mean, like sometimes we get so focused on like school age, and I feel like <laughs> the parents that get left out are a little bit of like the birth to five and then like the teenagers, yes, um yes. you know, and then the middle we talk about a lot. So today is gonna to be a lot of the birth to five, which I'm excited about because that is where you like really build the foundation. It's a really important time.
1: it is and it
0: is. also a time where like parents have a lot of decisions that they have to make, um, that may or may not like, you know, affect the rest of like, (laughs) what's going to be going on. Um, so, so it's really important to come and talk about that. So what I would love to do is just let you tell our audience, um, just a little bit about who you are and what you do and kind of like how you got into it.
1: Yes, sure. So, um, I, was always fascinated with American Sign Language and deaf individuals. And I have no idea where that began. But I knew early on I wanted to go to Gallaudet University at some point. And I knew I wanted to be a teacher for deaf children. Um, And sometimes you just have to walk out the path to find your path. And while I was, I I did my undergraduate in communications, sciences and disorders and special education. Then I went on to get a graduate degree at Gallaudet in deaf education. And while I was there, I A, met my husband who is deaf and B, really developed a passion for family-centered early intervention. That birth to five window that, as you said, really lays the foundation and sets a trajectory it truly does what you're doing in those first five years matters immensely and I think that's why that really called to me so again I'm a teacher of the deaf or a tod I have taught in a school for the deaf preschool classroom with children um, who are who used American sign language as well as children who, were, who had cochlear implants or who had listening technology of some sort. And parents wanted more listening and spoken language at the time, not the official AVT. I am not an auditory verbal therapist, um, but developing some of those listening and speaking skills was, was part of what I did. And then I transitioned out of that to providing early intervention in our region. And that was in Virginia when we lived there. And then I exited the profession when I became a mom to two hearing daughters, and I homeschooled for a while. And then as they've transitioned to school, I've transitioned back into the profession now in the state of Alabama. We moved here almost seven years ago with my husband's job. He is a robotics trainer for deaf and hard of hearing students all over the country. He, That's uh, very cool it is it is pretty cool i'm very impressed <laughs> yeah. I, well i i'm impressed too and uh, during the pandemic there were um robots and robot pieces kind of took over our dining room and i would hear clinking in the dryer and i knew it was a nut or a bolt or something robotic like and anyway um i have a lot of respect for what he does and i'm thankful that he is my personal tech support because that is not my inclination.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah, and I'm a little similar to you. I mean, in that I, what, so my background is actually, I didn't tell you this, but is in education. So I used to be a high school Spanish teacher.
1: Okay. Um,
0: and then I had kids and started staying at home. And now as two of my kids, two through three, are like, you know, transitioning into school, just like you, I'm transitioning into doing this, um, which yes. is still at home. But, you know, other avenues um you know and it's so fun I think you feel the same way to be able to now that my kids are a little bit older and they're kind of occupied during the day that I can um you know help other parents to kind of like give back a little bit to the ones that are kind of like a little further you know um behind me which has been really fun to do and to just kind of use your um gifts and kind of what you want to do outside of your kids. Obviously kids are super important, but yeah, but, um,
1: that balance This has and been you know, so
0: fun for me. Yeah.
1: And it sounds like it's been the right time for you. I sort of, you know, again, you keep taking one step at a time, you do the next right thing, what feels right. And then you sort of know, okay, it's time to do this. Okay. It's time to shift in this direction. And I think that's part of Well, I think that's part of everyone's life journey. But I think it's really relevant to what we're talking about today is attuning to your life and your child and your family and your support system and where you live and what's available. Those are huge considerations in all of our lives, but particularly when you have a child born with a hearing difference.
0: Yeah, that is definitely true. you know, and I would love to talk about that so we can jump right into, you know, helping out the parents who are birth to five years of age. Um, And then after five, there are other challenges. But birth to five, when you have a child diagnosed with hearing loss, those first five years have so much in them. Um, You're like, you know, working through learning of this like diagnosis for the first time, which you know, like us, since we're both hearing parents and no one else in our family has ever had hearing loss, we did not expect like at all. yeah. Um, you know what I mean? It's like a life that you didn't expect to have. And now you have like a newborn baby <laughs> or even, you know, a toddler who maybe had like progressive hearing loss, um, you know, who had hearing and then didn't. And right. that's a whole new set of challenges. Um, so how do you tell parents who are just like, I got this diagnosis. Where do I start? Because it feels really overwhelming at the beginning. Um, I still, I mean, that's probably always going to be marked in my memory of how I just like was sobbing on the phone to my mom, just because I didn't know, I didn't know what to do. And at the time. I didn't know what my kid's life was going to look like because I had never been around a deaf person. Like the first deaf person I was around was my newborn baby. And, you know, now I feel differently because I'm seven, almost eight years into the diagnosis with him. But at the time, you know, I had no, like, how is he going to go to school? How is he going to hear? How is he going to talk? How am I going to talk to him? I mean, just all of these things came up in my head so what can you say to parents who are like just starting what do you usually say (laughs) who are just starting this or like i don't even know like where to begin or what to do
1: right that is that is such a great first things first issue and i think one of the the factors i emphasize one of the things i really emphasize is self-compassion telling yourself a lot of the words of course Of course, I feel overwhelmed. Of course, I'm grieving. I love my child. And I'm grieving, because this was not what I saw coming. You know, as a professional, I, I chose to go into the field of deafness and deaf education. And I, before I met my deaf husband, I knew quite a bit of sign language. And so it just, you know, happened naturally. But parents, this is a brand new situation. And of course, you have worries about the child's future. And of course, you feel immense pressure to gather all this information and contact the right people. But by the way, who are the right people? And can I trust what this person's telling me? But this person told me something different. And there are so many emotions. And there are just so many logistics to to navigate finding the correct people finding or attending all the appointments for hearing testing for technology fitting if you go that route family to family connection is a huge deal too. talking to other families but because hearing loss is a low incidence disability sometimes we don't know families don't know where to find other families so again self-compassion is at the top of my my list for parents. And I think, too, it's important to acknowledge the complexity, I think we have to name. This is a lot. This is a lot to integrate, I'm going to have to do a lot of mental shifting, I'm going to have to do sort of a redesign of what I thought my parenting journey was going to be. And I think as professionals, we need to, we have a, a responsibility to acknowledge that reality for families. And as families, I advise you to find professionals who can give you that freedom and that compassion and can help you hold that tension between dealing with the emotions and reorienting yourself with the urgency of meeting your child's needs. We're always holding that tension, but. If we put too much emphasis on the urgency of early language access, we may be really neglecting the first things first of that earliest relationship and that self-compassion and that self-care that parents need. So it's a, it's a tension, it's a complex balance.
0: Yeah, that is so true. And I wanna tell you out of maybe like the 14 interviews I've done so far that have directly had to do with like hearing loss, because I've done some that are like kind of general motherhood. Um, But 100% of the ones that have dealt with hearing loss in kids, this topic of like grief, acceptance, compassion has come up 100% of the time, including right now, this is first thing. So you know that is something that we've literally talked about every episode and that may be the biggest hurdle for parents to get over yes um and in, in my opinion as a parent yes.
1: <laughs> and that's a hurdle that when we don't deal with it when we don't walk it out honestly without judgment and with a lot of curiosity and compassion that can stop us from making wise decisions in communication mode, in placement, in the relationships we develop, in finding the right people, assembling a team, assembling those parent-to-parent connections. Because people who are stuck in grief typically don't, they're not thriving. We need support for that reality. And professionals are really wise. Again, I call it a first things first. That's really fundamental to moving forward to get the child the the support and language access that the child needs. It's that that fundamental processing through the emotions of it. Yeah, and absolutely. And I agree. Yeah, <laughs> and recognizing that parents revisit that. It's not a linear process, it's not a one and done. There are touch points along the way. And I'm sure you can relate to that, Elaine. You can think of probably, I don't know how many, but triggers along the way that you've, whoa, I thought we were good to go and now we're shifting gears or now we're trying to find the right preschool program or now we're in a school that doesn't seem to understand our child's needs.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely experienced that through, you know two kids who had the same syndrome, which causes their hearing loss and they communicate very differently. And so does my two-year-old who's regular hearing, but also learning ASL signs and reminding her to use them with her brother, um, who, you know, pretty much only signs. Um, so we have like, you know, three to five communication modes in the house. If you count me and my husband.
1: Yes. Yes. Um,
0: Which I, which I had Michelle Hugh on the podcast a little bit ago and she, that, and she was like, you have like five communication modes in your family. I was like, oh yeah, I guess we do. And I didn't think about that, (laughs) but she's like, you're your husband too. It's like, oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's a lot to navigate in the house for sure. And you're right. I mean, this, this has definitely come up too. I think um, when we talked to Valley Gideons um, who, wait, just um, a little while ago. I think she, because her kids are now like teenagers are going into college. So she's been through almost like the whole like 18 years. And I mean, she said the same thing is that it changes um, grief and, you know, hard times continue to come up just around different things, you know, because everyone is human and we're raising humans and, you know, situations happen and And humans are let parents know that that's normal. Yeah is yeah. is an important first step so let's say we had done that and it can be at any point because I will say for myself I did not do the grief <laughs> process until um like two years ago <laughs> because and it and it's because I think a lot of parents do this is because it was move move move
1: you ground I, money.
0: Yeah, you do. You know, you have to start making decisions like, are we going to get cochlear implants, which is what my um, boys were candidates for? So like, are we going to do it and like researching it? And then they want to get, you know, whatever you're doing, they want to do it as early as possible to, you know, start that language communication as early as possible. And then it's like, what language? What communication mode? I don't know. And then we try different things and it changes throughout the process. And then also, so my boys are actually like deaf plus. Um, so their syndrome that they have like caused them to both be like preemie size, um, even though they were like regular full term birth. Yeah, full term. Um, And so they were both in the NICU at the beginning, which we knew beforehand. But so immediately also starting at two months, they each had like physical therapy come to the house once a week and right. we had physical therapy goals and then we had speech therapy goals once a week and then um we also have like occupational therapy for fine motor skills um and developing those so at a time I mean when I started with my first two children it was three full years of like constant therapy and then when I had yeah. the second one who yeah. had the same one it was like now we're juggling like six therapy sessions (laughs) and some of it I'm going in clinic I'm driving them to the clinic some of it I'm um we're doing at home some of it is through their preschool and so it's you know all and then I have like my third one and I didn't realize until I had my third one who's regular hearing and doesn't have the syndrome how much like I actually did because that was just normal and you know and I kept moving because you had to and that was when I was able to go through like, you know, a kind of the whole process, like the grief acceptance process. So for me, it was actually years later, but I will say to your point that has opened up me now, you know, working with like the local parent group and, you know, talking to other parents, coaching them, that's just opened up more capacity for my kids and then also for helping other people. So it is worth it. Yes. To go through.
1: Yes. (laughs) And I think the longer we, you know, again, sometimes we intentionally avoid hard emotions, uncomfortable emotions, sometimes we don't have a choice because you do you hit the ground running. And you don't even stop long enough to reflect and think boy this is really hard. And so it makes sense And I think as professionals, one of our chief responsibilities again is to attune to the individual family, that capacity that emotional state. The dynamics of their lives does the family have support. Do they not? Are they doing this without extended family members without many friends? Are is the family so focused on say a medical situation in their deaf child that they can't even they don't have capacity to think language access. They're thinking I gotta clean a trach every day. I've worked with families who are keeping their babies alive. Yeah. And it wasn't really until I became a parent myself that I went, boy, this is a really hard gig. And I also, you know, um, have had to revisit these ideal solutions about behavior or about um, priorities. Or, you know, because I was a perfect parent until I became a parent and then all of a sudden you're well aware of what you don't, didn't know what you still don't know and all there is to learn and then you get through a stage and you feel good and their child is on to another stage. So it's a complex journey. We got to hold space yeah. for all of that.
0: Yeah, that's true. And you also don't know until you become a parent, what like actually works for your kids and what doesn't, because everybody's different. And my mom is still laughing at me. She's probably going to be listening to this. And she's always like, "Uh you don't know what's coming in like the middle school years. (laughs) (laughs) There's always like stages. She's like, wait till this stage or wait till that stage. So I mean, yeah, it's always changing. And that makes it almost more difficult because you're trying to make all these decisions on top of caring for like another live person. Um, And so what I would love to talk about is how do we start making these decisions as parents? How do we decide cochlear implants, hearing aids? None of it. Um, How do we decide communication modes? We want to do speech therapy for listening and spoken language. Do we want to do ASL? Do we want to do cute speech? Do we want to do a combination? There's a lot of different decisions to make and you're making the decision uh, for a baby who can't talk to you, right. you know, and, and who can't yeah. tell you. And so you're just kind of guessing.
1: Um Yes. I think again, um, collaborating with professionals and you want to look for professionals who are willing to do a whole lot of listening to you, to your desired outcomes for your child. As a professional, I feel it's, my ethical responsibility beyond just my human responsibility it's my ethical responsibility to take myself and my opinions and my feelings completely out of the picture families don't need to know that's not my child families don't need to know what i think or what i feel or what my opinion is that doesn't need to come up at all and i really have to intentionally check those at the door and come in to that family and say, let me listen to you. What do you envision for your child? Let me listen to you. What are your family circumstances? Again, what is your real life? Let me listen to you. And maybe ask some questions from a place of curiosity to to help formulate the totality of your family and your child. What kinds of resources do you have access to? What kind of capacity do you have in your daily life to do a, a structured listening and spoken language approach or to learn American Sign Language or to do a, some semblance of both? Well, I think um, families need to feel freedom, especially in those earliest months. To get, they need to feel freedom to gather information at their own pace. They need to feel freedom to, um, take time to ponder these things. They also need to feel the freedom as you've had to do to say, well, let's go this route. Let's take our next steps. Let's go all in with this. And at some point, if what we have chosen with what we know right now, is not not leading to the outcomes we desire we can change course and i am careful about that word changing course because course correction doesn't always look like we're gonna go from full-on american sign language mm, we don't really like that now it's full-on listening and spoken language i think there can be incremental changes i think it's more of a dance maybe you've started with asl you've gotten cochlear implants, you notice your child is gravitating towards spoken language more. So you may release the ASL over time and transition the child to more of a listening and spoken language approach. Um, I think parents need to have professionals who understand the variety of needs of unique needs um, and who. Allow them to honestly dialogue and process all their thinking, all their feeling, all they need to know along the way.
0: Yeah, I love that. And so, what do you do if your current, you know, I don't know, speech therapist, uh, you know, I suppose would be the one, um, it, you know, tells you. So, there are still definitely some speech therapists out there who say, gonna do listening spoken speech you can't do any sign because they're not gonna learn to speak even though that has been wildly refuted by many many research (laughs) a lot of research at this point that is old research but there are still you know speech therapists out there who um you know still hold to that and that is their opinion there's also this whole wide world called social media which you know parents are on which I just tell parents just get off of social media and there are so many opinions. So there are a lot of accounts out there also, um, that are kind of shaming parents Mm -hmm. for not using ASL. Um, even if their children like have cochlear implants and, you know, or hearing aids and can't hear well and are capable of like spoken speech. And that is like what the family wants. They get on like social media and there's a lot of account, you know, accounts out there and maybe like that is their experience and that is fine. But there's just a lot of like, we're on like the polar opposites, like, you know, learn spoken language and no sign, you know, all deaf kids need to sign like no matter what. I personally know families who have done a mixture of all. I know a lot of families whose kids have cochlear implants. They only use spoken language. That works for their family. Everybody can communicate. We're happy and good. And I know other families who use ASL. know other families who do a mixture of both. Um, So it is up to you. But I know parents feel that there's, there's just a tension of like everyone telling them what to do. And then there's also, I remember in a parent group that I'm part of on Facebook, there's one parent who was considering getting cochlear implants for her child. And her main concern was that the child wouldn't be welcomed by the deaf community um, because I think maybe she had come across some accounts From like you know people who are deaf who were very against you know any type of like aiding or anything like that, which are out there as well. And then to challenge, I don't want to say you know against the deaf community because it's a wonderful community. Um, There are people who are more accepting as well. So there is always (laughs) the left, the right, and everything in between. What do you tell parents who you know if they're with a professional that's not listening to them? If they're with a professional that's not honoring like the communication mode that they want for their child. Either way, if they're pushing ASL or if they're pushing spoken speech and they're saying there's no middle ground. Right. Right. What do you do?
1: I say you find the simple answer is you find new professionals. Would you stay in a, in any sort of, or engage, pay attention to yourself. How do I feel when I'm reading this social media account? how do I feel when I'm engaging with this particular professional? How do I feel when I talk to this family? Do I feel pressured? Do I feel condemned? Our feelings can be great indicators. It doesn't mean you run for your life, but you may need to engage in ways that say our family choice matters. And I don't feel like you're hearing me. I don't feel received right now. I think anybody can be given the chance to if you assert your desired outcomes and what you know that you know about your child and your family if you have if you assert that and the professional says thank you i hadn't considered that or you know what i see how i wasn't intending to but i see how you were feeling pressure thank you for sharing that with me what can i do better that's one type of response. But if that person or family or social media account meets you with more condemnation, more confusion, more pressure, then that's probably not your people. And I think you're going to find extremes. Every parent must sign with their child. Never, ever, ever sign. In fact, don't gesture, don't point, don't use anything except spoken language you're gonna find extremes anywhere. I think we are in a place, thankfully, in our world as a whole where we're more open to middle ground, which is a good thing. So social media and information have many benefits, Um, but it goes back to holding first and foremost, this is my child, my family, my life, and I'm gonna honor that. So that's my advice to parents to put that, what are my desired outcomes and where can I find the support I need for those for achieving those desired outcomes? Yeah. I also think relationships, your, your team, that collaborative team, your listening and spoken language or auditory verbal therapist, that listening and spoken language specialist if that's who you're working with, a speech language pathologist, if that's who you're working with, the audiologist, the early intervention provider, the preschool teacher, the teacher of the deaf, whoever, your PT, your OT, whoever it is you're working with, you should um, be able to have a voice, a major voice, you should be leading the way. There should be a relationship, a trusting, mutually respectful relationship. And again, if you're not feeling that, that's probably not your person. And you might have to search a little harder to find your person. Um, Again, pay attention to how you feel when you're with that professional or person. I think we can trust ourselves to say something's not a good fit here. And we can lean into that right it shouldn't be the dictator but it can be you know feelings are great indicators like dashboard indicators oh oil's low Oh, gas is low oh you're going way too fast slow it down um we got to pay attention to those things don't we yeah i mean i think
0: everything comes down to trusting yourself which i think a lot of parents especially new new parents (laughs) um when you haven't been parenting for a long time um, have trouble with, and it's definitely, you know, been, you know, I would say a journey for myself. I mean, I feel like I've always trusted myself. I have pretty high confidence in myself, but you know, when you're going through something that's new and you're learning.
1: It's disorienting. It's certainly, and again, that goes back to my whole point. Can we all just acknowledge the complexity of this? Because Elaine, in reality, having a deaf child or a child with any you know hard of hearing child deaf child deaf plus child. it's a it's an extenuating circumstance needs wise it impacts the entire family, because as Michelle shared you said she you know said oh my goodness you've got all these communication modalities happening in your home, I feel that with my husband and I can go into some dynamics of that. These are just realities, they just are. And you know what we do in life? We rupture, we repair, we rinse and repeat. We learn, we adjust. We pause and reflect and say, that worked great or that's not working at all. Isn't that just the human experience? No matter, and and so when you apply that to language modality, all of a sudden you say, don't I have some allowance here, some to to try this and to navigate it and follow my child's lead and keep assessing and reassessing and reflecting and adjusting. It's, It's kind of one big experiment parenting is in general, but parenting a child with hearing loss just exacerbates all of that, all of those typical parenting snafus and emotions and uncertainties it it exaggerates them so having the right support system and the right professional team is a big deal it's a huge it's a make or break Mm -hmm. definitely
0: and the community as as well which is all part of it i mean i think part of your team (laughs) is also the community that you're around as well Mm -hmm.
1: Yes, and if you want to be part of the deaf community, I mean, I've been a part of the big D deaf community for I'm 45 and starting at 17 so a long time, you know what 28 years I think is the math on that more than half of my life and i'm immersed in it, because my husband, we you know were part of deaf fellowships in Virginia that he helped start and you get a whole array of people with different needs. And you know what, here's the thing, Elaine, I'm allowed to show up as I am, and they're allowed to show up as they are. And that doesn't mean we have to agree. But when you start to feel condemned in any way, it's okay to create distance and to say, you know what, that was a really wounding experience for me. So I'm gonna gonna find other experiences because I assure you There's a, there are a whole lot of wonderfully accepting people in the deaf community. I, I know a ton of them personally, and, um, and those are my people and those, you know, I often connect families to these people because I know that's a safe person. Often, my poor husband, I I mean, you know, you want to meet my deaf husband, he'll talk to you. I mean, just recently we, we met with a family who is has tried the listening and spoken language approach with their child and he's five and a half and he's just not making progress. So the listening and spoken language specialist said, we need to add something visual, not need to, but would you consider? Because that's the other thing. The professional doesn't get to tell you what to do. A uh, A skilled professional is gonna say, I know you have this desire and I wanna support you in this desired outcome, but let's look at what's actually happening are you okay with this progress? I'm allowed to have concerns, and I can share them with you. But ultimately, you parent are leading the way. And so this LSL specialist said, would you consider? And the parents were open to it. But that was a process too, because they had to switch gears. And I loved watching her give them grace and space and time to say, okay, we have to reframe that's going to take time. But back to my original point, my husband grew up with cute speech. And that is what this family is has after reading, getting informed, they said, "You know what? We feel like cute speech is going to be a great fit for our family." And I said, "Well, I happen to live with an expert." So, you know
0: and so here comes your husband pulled in again
1: right exactly exactly i've also pulled him in with a family in virginia who they were just stuck in grief stuck and i don't mean that in a judgmental way i mean they were overcome they could not move forward and so i said have you ever met a deaf person a deaf adult or a deaf child no we haven't okay enter my husband And this mother's first question was, are you happy? And once she could honestly express that in dialogue with someone who could say, yes, I am. I'm happily married. I have a successful job. We own a home. I have friends.
0: And your Annie's living independently. Yeah, so I know a lot of parents worry about too.
1: Of course they do. Of course they do. Back to that whole "of course" message. Yeah, I think we need to do a whole lot more of coursing and less. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I yeah. love
0: that your husband uses cute speech because that. So first of all, that is what we started with with our five-year-old, like originally when he was a baby and got his implants because that was the plan from the beginning was that he, you know, didn't have full access to language with his cochlear implants. We were going to do speech therapy with listening to spoken speech and also pair that with a visual cue. So, you know, that was a recommendation from the beginning from the audiologist and the ENT. Um, So we tried like cued speech at first. So I went to like a two-day training (laughs) that our speech therapy clinic, like, you know, provided for families and it was fantastic. Um, I learned it. And then tried it for several months. And we, you know, consistently did it. I had a speech therapist who um, is both fluent in ASL and cued speech. Mm-hmm. Um, she's like the only one in the office who, who is fluent in anything other than spoken speech. And so she was fantastic. She did a great job. We kept trying and trying. He did not catch on to this. Um, right. right. like He did not love it. And I was queuing to him all the time. He's also ADHD. And so a big part of the problem um, was that I couldn't get his attention long enough right. to look at me. Right. And so we switched right. to ASL signs, which he picked up immediately. And also right. one of the things about ASL signs is that I can do it like in front of him, yes. which is harder to do with queuing because if anyone it's who's listening happening. is familiar yeah. with queuing, yes, it's, it's like happening around placement around your face and the child or whoever is queuing really has to like watch you and what you're doing um which my you know busy five-year-old wouldn't do right um and then we switched ASL signs and he's picking those up super fast and he loves it so we did do a little bit of a course correction there with him when like you said he wasn't progressing. And so I think we tried it for like six months. I mean, we gave it, you know, a big try. And when the data, we looked at the data and the data was that he's not progressing, you know, what is really happening. And then, so we, you know, did ASL signs and we are not fluent in ASL at this point. We are pairing ASL signs in English word order, um, you know, with what we're saying. And that felt like a really easy intro, (laughs) intro. learning signs and that's what he's doing at school and it's helping him like also learn to read um and stuff like doing it in that way so that's what we're doing for for now and later we may course correct into full ASL if that's what he wants to do but interestingly his spoken speech is improving Now we're using ASL signs, so that is just like a really interesting correlation too. But I would love to. I have had parents when I was, you know, asking them what they want on this podcast. I've parents asked me about cued speech because everyone talks about ASL, and not very many people are talking about cued speech. And I know a lot of local families, local to me, that use cued speech with their kids um, and are very successful with it. And so I would love to talk a little bit about like what cued speech is. does the deaf community use it? Because I think that's what a lot of pe- parents are concerned about is like, if I teach my uh, kids cued speech, like, are they going to be able to, you know, interact with the deaf community? Like, is anyone going to understand them? Is anyone going to like actually know the cued speech? So that's great that your husband knows it. Cause that probably answers our question, but I'd love to talk about that. And parents are also curious about how to find cued speech resources for their kids in school? Because like a- asl you know, signers are easier. Interpreters, you know, are easier to find. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of schools don't know what cued speech is. Um, it's it's not quite as, you know, mainstream. I guess, and they're not, as or, as not no. quite as well known as A S L. So they're wondering. Yeah, you know, for their kids who are in school, how do I like find someone who will like cue with them in school and how do I find those resources? So So I'm everything about cue speech.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I'm gonna zoom out a little bit because again, I I think it's so important to emphasize a the complexity, b the freedom, and C the individualized nature of, of choosing what works for us. And I love the hands and voices motto. I even jotted it down so I could remember it exactly because it's very simple, but yet, um,
0: I do too, by the way, and that's a hundred percent. My motto for my podcast, yes,
1: um, oh, overall, not exactly, but yes, mostly. Yeah. But that is, yeah. And I hear that in you, but, oh, I, what's, um, what's right for your child is the right choice. Makes makes yes. the choice right, I believe. Again, yeah. I wrote it down. Ah, what works for your child is what makes the choice right. And I love that because again, that's that freedom to individualize and to change over time depending on your human needs. So to zoom out a little bit, my husband was born in 1975, pre newborn hearing screening,
0: pre. Oh, he's pre- just a year older than my husband. He was born in 1976,
1: okay. fun. right. All right. Um, so he wasn't diagnosed. His mom suspected something is not right. First baby pediatrician sort of said, oh, you're just worried. And it wasn't until he was 22 months. So almost two that she finally said something is not right here and went to an audiologist. So he was late diagnosed, you know, by today's standards, his brain, I think of language as nutrients for the brain. And we need to be feeding the brain just like we do our our the rest of our bodies and language is the way to do that. So he was deprived of language for almost two years. His parents um, happened to live in Montgomery County, Maryland, which had a preschool and elementary school oral program. And they had acute speech program well established, and an an ASL program. So they put him at first into the oral program, you know, got some aids, the box, the straps, the wires, and he spent a year there and made absolutely no progress. He just didn't have the access to the sophisticated technology that we have today. So they put him in cued speech because his parents genuinely and earnestly wanted him to have access to the, the sounds of the English language. And they felt that was really important for his literacy abilities, for potentially developing spoken language abilities. Um, and he just took off. So opposite of your son's experience, that he just took off with that and, um, and had extensive speech therapy. So he does use, we call it his deaf, his deaf accent So he can use spoken English. He is by middle school, these three elementary schools lumped into one middle school. So these signing kids brought a big influence there. And in order to survive socially with your other deaf and hard of hearing peers, again, this is right outside of DC. So it's a metropolitan area. Um, So it just made sense for him starting middle school. He just naturally socially acquired American Sign Language. And um, again, so another shift in his in his journey, and I think you're going to find so many parents so many families have these shifts. Um, but anyway, so he really though credits cute speech with giving him access to the sounds of English, which are pretty essential for for literacy abilities. Um, so cute speech has eight hand shapes. And for positions, I'm actually in the process of buffing up my skills in cute speech. Um,
0: oh, it's like a mind switch. It is a mind
1: <laughs> switch. I keep like, signing really... right. Yeah, like
0: signing also came, came more like intuitively for yeah. me, only because like a lot of the signs sort of make sense Yes. like what you're trying to say there a lot of signs are really intuitive to like the idea of what you're trying to say yeah. or and cute speech is just it is a completely like different yes. way um of learning a language
1: yes and you say you know the my husband says you know people who cue experts in kids speech will say, oh, you can learn it in two days. He's like, well, you might be able to learn. And I actually have the handout, a handout here.
0: I did learn it in two days, but it took me much longer to, to become automated. Yeah. Yeah. And you I can think, learn the whole system in two days. That is true. Can. But,
1: but he says, then you got to really that labor intensive period yeah. of like, it, eh, kitty. Okay. You know, and, and it does, it is a mind Switch, but it has a lot of great benefits too. Because again, it gives access to spoke, the sounds of spoken language, the phonemes, and having having a strong base in phonological awareness. We know that contributes to to better reading skills, um, makes decoding easier, and once your decoding is automatic and reading, your comprehension improves. And so, but yes, finding resources is really hard we don't to my knowledge in the state of Alabama we don't have any cute speech transliterators my husband, you know how ha- again in that well populated well resourced area. He was in classes with other kids who were queuing so he had a cute speech transliterator through I think mid high school and then switched over to an ASL interpreter um during latter high school and then college because well it's even hard to find an asl interpreter a qualified educational interpreter good luck to you you know but they are more prevalent than cued speech transliterators so again i think it comes back to complexity you're gonna have to work hard with the deaf child and do things differently, no matter what modality you choose. And you're living proof of that, Elaine, you went through the cute (laughs) speech, tried it for six months and you went, I, you know, I'm, this is a struggle and it's not working for my child. So, okay, we go the route of learning ASL. But if you take a listening and spoken language approach, that too has its own set of, rigors, if you will, to um, incorporating auditory development first and foremost into everything you're doing with that child all day long. I think that points to the need for language coaches, professionals who are language coaches, and that is something the listening and spoken language community integrates into their practice and it is blissful because um, What they're doing is recognizing and capitalizing on the reality that they see that child maybe for an hour a week and parents are doing the rest of the actual work. So I would love to see more of that mindset that language coaching mindset in for families who choose American Sign Language. For families who choose cute speech, because again, it's not as easy. You know, I think it's very oversimplified and whenever we oversimplify something, we can create harm. We can do harm. We say, oh, just sign with your baby. Well, how give me a, how walk me through it, empower me, teach me that, or I'm just going to fumble through and just do my very best. Oh, just talk to your baby. But how exactly we need that support along the way. So have I answered your questions about cute speech and gone into another million rabbit (laughs) holes?
0: Yes, I think so. This is going to be like a podcast two, maybe a podcast three, which most of my guests have come on. And we're like, we have to do this again Um, because there's just so much to say
1: there is is.
0: parents. And it depends on what stage you're in. what you're doing what you want to do uh your experience um i appreciate you Konyan. yes i think that did answer our questions about cued speech and i would just like to say i know and i can link this in the show notes just for my parents there is the national Cute speech association and you, that would maybe be a good place to look if you're looking for like local resources a transliterator for your children um going to school that that would be a great um like the organization to look to, and I'll put that in the podcast show notes um, for people to, yeah, find information for their kids. But yeah, I love what you're saying. Are there language coaches out there? Because this you know, is the first I've heard of this concept, but I'm interested.
1: Yes, there need to be more. Again, we see them, that is a fundamental aspect of the listening and spoken language or auditory verbal approach what I would love to see is where is the 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 match to that best practice it is best practice um, in visual language communities in cute speech communities so I think that language coaching is where it's at in terms of achieving desired outcomes in any communication modality but sadly there's not a framework not a sustainable framework within the american sign language community for providing that and that is something we lack um so yeah and
0: i agree that it would be helpful as we're trying to learn it for our kids i mean it is really cobbling together um information because chances are you're not around anyone else who uses american sign language so our um the teacher of the deaf at our who's working with our five-year-old um sends me flashcards and sends me resources and tells me like i talk to her every day um and tells me like what signs he's learning so that we can learn them at home and continue them at home So she has been a good resource, but basically I've asked a lot of people. I've asked a lot of people locally. I've asked like um, some people in the deaf community locally, like how you learn and, you know, they all point me. um, Life print is one of them that they've all pointed me to on like online classes, like online resources. Um, But there's so many
1: there are a so
0: many to choose from. There's some, they're free, some of them are paid. And it it really, just from my experience, it really does feel like just cobbling together yeah. um, a way to learn a language. <laughs> and, you know, I became fluent in Spanish, but I took Spanish classes. You know, I took years and years. I took Spanish classes in high school that taught, you know, the teacher taught me Spanish. I took Spanish classes in college, and where I was practicing it, and then I went and lived in Spain for a year.
1: There you go, and was
0: immersed. Okay. And so it, it, but, but you, but to be able to like be immersed, like you got to build the foundation. Uh-huh. By the time I went to Spain, I still learned a lot and realized how much I didn't know. But I had, I was almost through my whole major in college by the time I went there. Like I had had years and years of Spanish, I knew grammatical structures, advanced grammatical yep. structures, whereas I knew the foundation and then I could work on it. But it's hard for parents to get the foundation.
1: It is. You know what I mean? It is. And languages are living. They're always changing. The nuance is always there. The um, unique grammatical things we do, we don't say I eat it, we say I ate. And you have to be living in it well if you don't have access to an active deaf community or they get together for a silent dinner one time a month that's really not enough, we need deaf mentor programs, we need. Um, live human beings to go back and forth Language is about connection it's about meaning and, and ongoing engagement so to learn a language. Our brains need that back and forth that serve and return, they need feedback, we're creating an auditory feedback loop with spoken language, or a visual feedback loop with visual language. But in order to create that you and I have to go back and forth a little bit and a more advanced signer you go oh I didn't quite sign that right oh let me adjust, but if you're just learning from a website that's a that's a limited. Learning experience when you're talking about a living entity like a language. Does that make sense? Does that resonate? It does. And I agree um, with
0: it too. So, I mean, it sounds like the answer, if you really want to become fluent or really just want to like advance or even know that you're signing the right signs correctly, would be to try to connect with the deaf community in your area. And I know parents feel weird about that I do, of <laughs> I do too because yeah. it yeah, is you. very uncomfortable be- because you are afraid that you are not going to be able to communicate because you don't know sign language and it is just like being dropped in like France and not knowing a bit of French
1: yeah so it's, it's that overwhelming that disorienting feeling and and so you have to find not just the deaf community but a good fit for where you're at in your language levels, you have to be able to feel safe in that space, safe to learn safe to ask questions, safe to make mistakes, because you're gonna. Um, Yes. And it's a very vulnerable feeling, you know, and it's so you know, our, our family is obviously ASL English bilingual. But by the time my children were born, I was a fluent signer. And so, and I knew how to nurture language in a young child visually and auditorily so it's it's like comparing apples to dinosaurs to say oh just sign with your baby and they'll be bilingual. It takes a lot of intentional work, but I love your image of cobbling something together if you're expending that much energy as a parent. Running your home working caring for yourself and your child and other children, um, being a human who sleeps and eats and goes to the bathroom and requires say a shower, occasionally you in, and you're expending that much energy cobbling something together. You're not getting the forward momentum. You need to provide that holistic, that high nutrient, that nutrient dense language to the brain. So it's a, again another layer of complexity. And I think as professionals, we need to acknowledge that in in that journey to deciding what the right language modality is a good fit for our child and family. We need to to focus on doing what it takes. We need to know what it's going to take. Professionals need to be honest. It's not as easy as just sign with your baby. I hear that all the time and I want to scream and I want to say hold up. There's a how missing. And if we don't have a clear how and we don't have a guide a coach to get us through the how we get stuck, we cap out and we're doing a disservice to families. So I would love to see more ASL language coaching. I would like to because I need it.
0: And, uh, and also to your point, it is like sign to your baby. Okay, well, like, what do I sign? Like, exactly. what signs do I start with? How do I know these signs? Because you're talking to parents who have never been around sign language has probably never even seen sign language, to be honest, in their lives. And also there's the added like, I guess, responsibility challenge of like, you have to learn the sign first to be yes. able to teach it to your child. And
1: yeah you have to outpace, you have to outpace your child's development, yeah.
0: which is what we are trying to do right now. And it's extremely hard.
1: It's, it is <laughs> it's hard.
0: very hard and progress is very slow because yes I am a mom to three children and I still have to do the dishes, do the laundry. I still have to cook, yeah. I mean, get kids to school, to, you know, I still have to do everything in the house. And at the same time, I'm now having to, you know, they're telling me like, now you've got to learn signs and you've got to learn them yourself. And then you've got to make sure they're correct. Cause you got to like teach them to your kid. And
1: exactly, you want to be a good language. That's a lot. Language learning, yeah. language acquisition is about two things, quantity of exposure and quality of exposure. So providing both in a a brand new to you language is very difficult. So I acknowledge that alongside you, Elaine, and we can really get stuck in shame cycles of, if only I could do it better, if only I could do more of it, what is wrong with me that I can't, but we need to acknowledge again, the complexities of the situation that you're in of your real life, your lived experience, the experience you're living right now in trying to learn a second language and clearly you're a right individual who is very capable and who knows the rigors of learning a second language because you have done that and Mm -hmm. still you're finding it challenging so imagine a parent in a different situation who may not have the education you do who doesn't have the experience doesn't have the access doesn't have the time you know it, so we have to talk about desired outcomes and what it takes to meet those and have honest conversations about those. Yeah, I love that. And when I was learning
0: Spanish, I was 14 years old. I, exactly. Like that was all I had to do, right? I didn't have kids. I didn't have a family. Yes. I was in high school. All I had to do was go to school. And also, which is what is missing with ASL, like you just said, I had structured classes.
1: There you go. You know,
0: you take Spanish one, which is one of the classes that I ended up teaching. You know, you learn how to say hello, my name, is. you know, you start from the beginning, but and you know have
1: vocabulary. Yeah.
0: Four years in high school of like structured classes where you are explicitly taught, like, these are the vocabulary words. This is like how the grammar goes this way. This is how the grammar goes that way. Like, you you know and so that is what's different with ASL is that I had classes to go to and I was like specifically taught it in Spanish and with ASL yeah. I don't have classes to go to and I'm not specifically I would not have really become fluent like I am now if I had not had those classes in the beginning to build that yes. foundation to then like go to another country and like yes. be immersed in it exactly you know I probably wouldn't be as fluent as I am
1: Exactly. Yeah, you need that combination. We all need the quantity and quality too. That's a principle of early language acquisition, which means the first time the brain is learning language, which is what children, babies do, versus language learning, which is what non-babies, people who are older than babies who are learning a second language, you still need quantity and quality. You still need, it's very, very difficult to just learn a language in fact not many people do that you'd be really exceptional to just learn a language
0: yeah it's definitely hard um i definitely want to respect your time there's so many more questions i could ask you yeah <laughs> i've loved it um i've loved talking about all this language um and so if we could just like a couple more things if we could give parents just some quick tips of like what are some things to give your kid like the best language access in the home? Because it starts in the home. So when I'm going to touch on school today, we can probably do another podcast touching on school because I love talking about school services too, but in the home, it starts in the home, language access. A lot of parents don't know what language access in the home means. Right.
1: Right. And that's another provision that a language coach could talk you through. Um,
0: Do we need to start language? Like, is it? do we need to start am, this program
1: i am here for it elaine
0: because i, I am too i obviously love languages i am not yeah. fluent in asl but i can definitely help them with the spoken speech
1: <laughs> yeah no i am i've been singing from the rooftops for a very long time we need asl language coaches for families yeah. who despair that yeah. outcome. otherwise we don't we don't have a good infrastructure to offer so you can give people a why Oh, why ASL could benefit your baby or be a great fit for your child and family. But if you don't give people a, how, then they can't get from the why to actually using it in their real lives. There's a huge yeah. gap and it's a, it's a, it's a gap that, um, yeah, that at some point, so let's, let's continue this conversation at another time we can table it. But so what would I tell parents, um, what was your language question?
0: access in the home language some access, quick yes. tips preferably something that is easy and can be built into their routines
1: yes 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 well you again um that that word about daily routines you know we need professionals you find professionals who make who who really prioritize coming alongside you in thinking through the language used in your daily routine, not just, oh, we get up, we change a diaper, we nurse, we do this, this, this. What's the language you're using during a diaper change? And what could you do to build, serve, and return? What can you do to do babbling play? What can you do to introduce new vocabulary? So having those specific strategies modeled to you, find a professional who can do that language coaching for you. Um, another thing is emphasizing, especially in those early years, that relationship, the touching the eye gaze, know that that brain is making in the first five years, thousands of trillions of connections, neural connections, and those are made through human to human relationship and language it's huge so it is a, it, it is a critical urgency we have a window first 5 years is when we know it's what's called a neurocritical window so do what you can parents to find support for language access and in daily life have a have that that professional come alongside you to get creative about ways you can make sure your deaf child knows when you're leaving the room and coming right back, so that they're not, you know, stacking blocks one minute and you're gone. Think, have somebody think through those things. Of course, this is really I'm focusing on little ones, but um, yeah, having and and having that emotional support as well is really critical. That family to family support piece. Find your people, find your tribe. I think that's the expression. Find your village. Um, and if that person is not working for you for whatever reason, pay attention to how you feel when they're with them. You don't feel free to assert your desired outcomes and your child's needs and the decisions you've made without having to justify yourself. That's not your people. And that's okay.
0: Yeah, I love that. And one thing I can tell parents like you know, especially in like spoken speech and stuff when the speech therapist would say, okay, these are like your goals, um, to practice this week. I would, I used to ask the speech therapist, um, how can I practice this? And my speech therapist actually gave me some really great ideas. So if you don't have a language coach, which apparently is not a thing right now, but maybe we should make it a thing. Um, it that, is a so i think the
1: language community it is a thing it is in fact, it's I've a never massive, heard of that either. massive thing in the and it's brilliant and it's evidence-based and it makes the practice so robust it is yeah it is paramount to anything i've ever seen but yeah no, well my
0: speech therapist did provide i guess yeah. like built-in language coaching because i would ask how so there you go. You know, if you're going to regular speech therapy, I would tell parents, um, you know, they say you need to practice, you know, blah, 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 these like three words, then ask them like, how, how can I best like practice this and right. mine, and they will usually give you um, some ideas of activities you could do, or like different ways that you could get those words in, um, yeah. like during the day. And so my speech therapists have, I've leaned on them for so much. They've been fantastic.
1: Yes, again, we know how language develops and as we as professionals do and it's our job to convey that to parents in developmentally appropriate ways, so you can give quality and quantity. Um, And you can pay attention to milestones and don't be afraid to raise a red flag when if your child seems stuck, or if you're not sure how to get to the next milestone, be, you know, teaching parents what to look for is a big deal too.
0: Yeah, you have said so many good things today. um, Can people find you anywhere if they want to follow up with you Ask you questions because you are a person to go to for sure.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes, I would love that. So I do have a website that I created about earliest relationships and social emotional development, and I'm still in process slowly but surely of adding to it. It's www.littlepeoplebigfeelings.com and it's, it's, um, inclusive of it's focused on deaf and art of hearing children and families. And it's inclusive of all very intentionally inclusive of all um, language modalities. So um, then I'm on Instagram and starts and stops on Instagram because, you know, technological limitations personally. um, And that's the the name for that is little people, big feelings, DHH for deaf and hard of hearing. And I'm happy to, um, Receive emails at my Hands and Voices account. Um, do you put show notes, Elaine? Do yes. You... Yeah, so we can me... link
0: anything that you need us to in the show sure. notes. Let me. me, I say yes, it's me. I, I can yes. link anything. In the show I know, notes. I,
1: I hear you. Yes. So let me send that information to you and, and link it in the show notes. Because, yes, I have a real heart for families who are sort of hitting walls or aren't sure where to go next and um, language coaching. I love language coaching, Um, so um, yes, and families who just need to process because they need space to do that with honesty and with emotion. Um, It's a really, it's a, it's a process, but it's, that's part of being human too. And not having the right answers is probably the reality because there are very few right answers out there. For anyone, but especially for deaf and hard of hearing children and families, you have to do what's right for you and your child.
0: I love that. And Lacey, I can tell that you really love this and that you have a heart for this because you have been so fun to talk to and you just give so much good advice and make parents feel very calm. Yeah, about the decisions that they are making, which is really important. Um, So I really appreciate you you coming on the podcast today and talking to our parents.
1: Thank you, Elaine. Thank you so much. And guess what? I get to go to my cute speech practice session now. So I'm going to have tears in this brain and go, oh, I've been doing a lot of talking. Now I've got to do a lot of focusing on the individual sounds. So (laughs) thank you, Elaine for having me and thank you for sharing so much of your journey too with me and with the world, because again, family to family connection, you know, better, you know, best what it's like to navigate this road. And so your story is so valuable and you can really pay it forward and you are. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Hey, mama. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If so, would you take 30 seconds and subscribe to this podcast? I never want you to miss an episode and to be without valuable information to help you and your family. Also, please leave a quick written review for the show on Apple Podcasts. It lights me up to know this podcast is helping you. Now go check off the rest of your to-do so you can love on your family today. And I'll meet you here every Tuesday and Thursday for podcast episodes to support your whole family in language learning. Ciao, mama.